The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Hello, everybody. Sam. So, you know, uh, often it's not uncommon in, uh, at least in the church that I'm a member of, a pastor of, that, you know, you get asked by people, you know, how's your marriage doing? How's your marriage? I I ask people a lot when uh, youth pastors and student leaders come to camp, I'll ask them, hey, man, your your marriage doing good? How's it going? And I think even for myself, when I'm asked, it's really easy for me to say, yeah, good. That's great. It's going awesome. And, and I'm not being dishonest, I think, because my mind immediately goes to, yeah, we're, we're not fighting. Um, and we're, we're, we don't have any big issue that we're tackling right now, like enjoy going home and being with my family. And, and that's not bad. And I think for a lot of us that, man, we, a lot of us, we resonated with where Gar and Kimberly were, right? Like, like that, that is either part of your story um, and what God has brought you through, or it's your story right now and, and, and it's hard and it's difficult. But I think for a lot of us, man, we, if, if you were asked, like you probably have been asked already this weekend, um, if you're, or even if you're self-evaluating, it's easy to say, yeah, it's good. And I think it's because we, we get acclimated to less than what this biblical picture of marriage is that God's called us to, right? Like, um, man, have you ever gone over to somebody's house and uh, <laughs> as soon as you walk in the door, you're stunned by the smell of cat urine, <laughs> right? Have you ever done this? Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, you walk in, and it is overwhelming where, like, you think, I just, I mean, you could bite that smell. Right? Like, like when you leave, you, you leave knowing, like, I've got to go home and wash everything, if not just throw it away. And you think, but, but then you realize, like, they don't know. Right? They don't know. They don't realize that the reason you're not talking is because you're only holding your breath, right? Like, that per- Rob was kind of quiet today. He was surviving. <laughs> like, I'd rather pass out than be poisoned. And like, like, oh, kitty litter. That's <laughs> wonderful. I mean, can you get that in air spray? Like, I could use that in my car. Like, one of the little trees. Like, is that an option? Like, cat urine? Like, how wonderful. They don't know. They're not doing that on purpose, right? If you're a cat person, pretend like I've been talking about dogs. It's okay. Like, they don't know, right? Why? They've acclimated to that smell. That smell is their normal, right? And, it, and you leave that house and you think, I wonder what people think when they walk at my house. Do we have a smell? I remember my grandmother had a smell. Like, <laughs> like right? You just, we, we acclimate to that and it becomes normal. And I think, man, when we look at what what God says to us in Ephesians chapter 5 of what our marriages are to be, 
And then sometimes when I, when I think, when I self-evaluate or Sarah and I sit down and we talk and I realize, man, what I've done, I've acclimated to okay. I've acclimated to not being in a, you know, a horrible place right now. Like I'm comfortable and I don't see that, man, all these little biting remarks are just going by and, and not being dealt with. I've acclimated to being harsh with my criticism because of my unrealistic and unbiblical expectations I've put on her. I've acclimated that. And maybe, maybe she has too. And, and, and we, we acclimate to like our marriage isn't preaching the gospel. Our, we're not striving for the gospel in our marriage and in one another's sanctification. And I think that's why Paul lays this out the way he does. So turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Because wherever you come into the room at, right, like we, we have this high calling. We're not called to okay. We're not called to good marriage. We're called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ through our marriages. So what he says, I'll start in verse, uh, verse 22. Actually, I'll start in verse, um, let's just say 15. Because, you know, right, like the little headings in there, they're added. The, even the verses, the numbers are added. So I want us to get the full, fuller context here of submission. Verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Here it is. He, he's about to say the most unique thing. He, he's just, he's saying, husbands, like, be like this. But he's about to lay something out that no man ever in the history of the world, save one, could possibly do. What Jesus Christ accomplished for his bride, only he could do. What Jesus Christ accomplished for everyone in this room, only he could do. And he wants to remind us of this. That this unattainable thing in our own power and our own strength, he's saying, Christ did it. So be like this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
That's huge. He said, man, here's the profound mystery. Here's the profound mystery. The unity that Jesus has with the church. The oneness that Christ has with everybody who is ever in repentance and faith cried out for salvation. The unity that Jesus won by becoming one of us, identifying with us, being made human in the Son of God, taking on humanity so that he could be tempted as we are, yet without sin, so that he could be our representative before the Father in such a way that God would pour out his holy wrath on his boy so that Jesus would absorb the hell that you and I deserve so that in identifying with us in our sin, in our shame, in our guilt, taking our punishment, he could rise again in victory so we could identify with him in his righteousness, in his life, in his perfection, in his relationship with his Father, with his victory over sin and death and the grave forever. Like that unity that Jesus has with us as believers individually and as the universal body of Christ that'll spend forever in heaven worshiping him. He's saying in marriage, this is your foundation. In marriage, this is your pattern. In marriage, this is your goal. The oneness, the unity that Christ has with his church. Have that in your home. Have that in your home. As our foundation because, right, like what would be impossible for us, Jesus has done. Husbands, like he's telling us, man, love your wife like this. And that's only possible because Christ has already loved your wife like that. He, he saved her, right? He redeemed her. He brought her to repentance and faith and he purified her from her sins. He separated her as far as the east is from the west, from the guilt of her sin, and he remembers it no more. And he is right now working in her because Jesus doesn't fail, and Jesus doesn't quit, and Jesus said he's going to complete the work that he started in your wife, and he's going to present her holy and blameless with the rest of the church. Like, that's going to happen. Because Jesus has done that, then what you get to do is you get to follow that pattern. You get to have the same goal for your wife that Jesus has for your wife. And you get to aid, listen, This should be our greatest joy and privilege as husbands. We get to aid in the work of sanctification that God is doing in their their lives. You get to take part in that. And wives to husbands. Jesus has already done the work. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if you've cried out in repentance for Jesus to save you, you belong to him. This is what he's doing. He's rescued you. He's purified you. And now he's preparing you for an eternity of glory. And he's using trials and temptations to do it. And it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Uh, Russell Moore, uh, I heard him say this in regards to uh, parenting, but I think it applies to all of Christian life. He says, the Christian life is crucified glory. He said, the Christian life is a pattern of crucified glory. Sounds really Christian, doesn't it? Ah, that's good. What does that mean? I think what he's saying is this is like, it's beautiful. But it's horrible, right? Jesus on the cross being crucified in one sense was horrible. To stand there, to see. I mean, literally Jesus was nailed to a cross. He had his flesh ripped from his body. He was bloody. He was gasping for breath to speak. He'd have to pull himself up on the nails in his hand, push off the nails in his feet. It was horrible. 
And it is the display. (laughs) It is the full manifestation of God's glorious love towards us. And he says the Christian life will follow that pattern. Marriage is hard. Marriage is difficult. It's going to root out ugly things in each one of us, but it is glorious because what it is doing is moving us from degree to degree into glory. It is changing us to make us each more and more like Christ. It is accomplishing his purpose of sanctification. And so, yeah, is it going to be painful? Is it going to be hard? Yeah. Is it going to be beautiful? Absolutely. Because Jesus doesn't fail. Jesus doesn't quit. And his grace is because he's already accomplished everything, his grace is sufficient to carry us through day by day, conforming us into his image, husband and wife, and the privilege to aid and serve one another. But I think that, like with all of the Christian life, the danger is we acclimate to okay. We get comfortable with decent. So uh, I heard this one pastor use an illustration and I'm going to steal it, but I'm at least going to let you know that this is an original to me. He tells a story, and he says, there's two homes, two houses, side by side, pretty much the same, husband, wife, three kids in each home, and let's throw a dog in there. They each have a dog. He says, same, same thing happens in both homes, right? People got to go to work. People got to go to school. People got to eat. They got to They got to dress. And so the same amount of plates and forks and spoons are being used, the same amount of clothes are being worn, same amount of shoes kicked off. But one house is clean, and the other house is messy, it's cluttered. Same amount of stuff going on, same amount of life being lived. And don't worry, this, isn't, this is just a parable. This isn't like a commentary on cleaning your house. So don't start nudging now, okay? <laughs> the, just look to the spiritual, like... Right? Like the same amount of life is happening in each place, but one's clean and one is messy. And the only difference is one more thing happens in the clean house. And it's that there's, there's this pattern of when something's dirty, clean it. When you're done with something, put it away. And you got to do it, right? If it's dirty, you got to clean it. If, it, if, if, it, if you're done with it, you got to put it away. You might as well do it when? Next week right? Now. Might as well do it now, right? Don't let it pile up. Don't let it build. And I think what happens, and we heard the testimony of it this morning, and how are y'all moving forward? How are y'all growing your marriage? I mean, what the Lord has saved you from, but what, what is the trajectory you're now on? What's the secret? I mean, well, Christ has got to be central, it's got to be the foundation of our marriage. And we deal with stuff now. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. You know what happens to your home when you do that. But the reality is, your house can be immaculate, but your home could be in shambles. Right? Because you may not leave the dishes out, but you may let that rude comment slide. You may let those harsh words fall. And you know, for a split second, you know, I need to deal with that. But then you move right on to saying, I need to deal with that later. And fill in the excuse for why. 
yeah, and maybe, man, you're not fighting and maybe it's not ugly, but, man, all that's left undone, it's cluttering your marriage and it's skewing the picture of the gospel to one another and everyone who sees it. And we're called, listen, by the grace of God, we're called to something so much better. I mean, what a privilege, right? Like, man, I, I don't want this morning to be like just, yes, here's a mirror and here's all the things I'm doing wrong as a husband kind of knew that coming in. I knew that's why I was brought here, right? Like, like, oh, there'll be shotguns. I know what you're up to, okay? Like, I don't want to, we need that. Like, we need that. But let's not lose sight. All this is, is grace. If this morning, listen to that testimony, if it was a punch in the throat, that was God's grace. If it was a pat on the back, that is God's grace. Because we have the right and the privilege to look, yeah, past my shortcomings, past my faults, to embrace them, to accept them, to confess them. And then all that's left is the grace of God to move forward. Because Jesus has won the day. And I get to live in that victory for myself and my spouse. So just like I don't have the right to, to hold shortcomings and failures over my wife, I don't have the right to hold it over myself either. Confess them, and we move forward in the grace of God because he rose from the dead. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That'd be a good place to end, right? See ya. Like, <laughs> that's so good. But I got some more stuff to read. So I'll ask this question. Ask this question. So how do we do this? man? How, 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 how do we not let that stuff clutter up? How how do we not let it get messy? I mean, we, we've just, the gospel truly has to be foundational here. And the first thing I want to say is, man, that, that we really need to see ourselves and our spouse as God sees us. We really need to see ourselves and our spouse as God sees us in Christ. And, and pause and, and say, if you're not a believer, if you're not, if you're not truly following Christ, then this starts with, yeah, see yourself as God sees you. Because <laughs> apart from Christ, in ourselves, man, we're, we're under his wrath. And he would be so kind as to show us that. He would be so kind as to tell us, warning, danger. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. You've sinned against the holy God. You deserve his hell. Join the club. That's where we all are. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the same grace that saved a sinner like me can save a sinner like you. If you believe that Jesus is God, came to bear the wrath of God in your place so he could take your sin and in place of it, give you his perfect spotless righteousness, which is his obedience, his love for the Father, his unity with the Father, that he could gift that to you because he died in your place and rose again. Man, believe in that. And he'll save you. And that's where it starts for you, right? We heard it this morning. That's where it starts. That's the foundation. And then as Christians, as a Christian husband, as a Christian wife, you need to see yourself and your spouse as Jesus sees you. And for that, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. I'm going to read and try to make as few comments as possible because, man, this just preaches itself and it's so good. And in, in fact, even the way that Paul's written this, the way that the Holy Spirit has laid this out, I think we're supposed to just kind of like get these truths, these overwhelming blessings in machine gun fashion and just be, just let it mow you down. Listen to this, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. <clears throat> verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Pay attention to that. Everywhere it says in Christ, God is telling you how he sees you. Everywhere it says in Christ, he's telling you how he sees your spouse. In Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption. We've been rescued. We've been set free from the bondage of slavery to sin and the enemy. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, with which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Do you believe that? Or do you tell yourselves lies about who you are? Do you believe what God says to be true about you or what your flesh says to be true about you? Do you believe what God says to be true about your spouse? Do you see your spouse through the lens of the gospel that says they are holy and blameless because Jesus has forgiven them? They are holy and blameless because Jesus has given them his righteousness. They're redeemed. They're no longer slaves of sin. They're not destined for hell. They've been forgiven. They are in the beloved. God the Father loves your spouse just as much as he loves his son. We need to fight for this. We need to renew our minds to this. Because if we don't, if we don't see ourselves and each other through this lens, we'll see each other according to our flesh. You'll see your own shortcomings. You'll see their shortcomings. And instead of encouraging and investing in their sanctification, you'll accuse. You'll feed the flesh. Instead of encouraging them <laughs> towards the glory that awaits us in Christ, it will tear them down, distract them from that reality, heap guilt and shame on each other instead of grace and forgiveness. Who's the accuser? That's right, Satan. Husbands, love like Christ. Love like Christ loves the church. You can't die for her. You can't rise for her. <coughs> you don't sit enthroned right now interceding for her. 
but you can strive to follow his example. Because the alternative is to be like the evil one, to make accusations. Wife, it's the same, right? Am I going to find fault and accuse? Am I going to tear down? Am I going to attack? Am I going to attack the work of the Holy Spirit in my husband's life? My husband, meaning I was talking for the women for a second. (laughs) Just to be clear. Man, so much good, right? We're all together in this room right now in this hour. There's so much good. Right, like the clarity that the gospel brings, the clarity that hearing testimony of God's grace, the clarity that his word brings to your mind and your soul right now. Man, how, oh yeah, how how would I ever see anything but that in my spouse? We don't live in this room. So this has got to be something that we fight for every day. That's why we've got to renew our mind to the truth of scripture. This is why, and jump to the big point of application is always going to be. Uh, he, he said it earlier. I wanted to start earlier in, in Ephesians 5 where he says, hey, you, don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Man, that is evil. Don't do that. No, no, don't be filled with wine. Don't be intoxicated with alcohol. Man, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the only way we're going to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. This is a power that we don't possess in our flesh, but it is a power that's been availed to us because Jesus rose from the dead and he sent his spirit. So be filled with his spirit. How do we do that? Submit to his word. Fill your mind with his word. Fill your, you, you've got to, we've got to. How do you fight for your marriage? And day in and day out, consume the scripture. It'll tell you who you are. It'll tell you what's really true about your spouse. It'll tell you what you're fighting for. For this life and eternity. So, am I committed? Am I committed to the same goal that Jesus is committed to for my spouse? How do I aid that? How do I plug into that? These are good questions to ask. And then to ask today, like, how, how do I encourage my spouse towards Jesus? How do, how do I help them become more like Jesus today? What, what role do I play? Because sometimes, yeah, it's going to be having that hard conversation of, hey, you said this. What what'd you mean by that? Hey, you know, you said this and this is how I took it. Or you gave me that look. This This is hitting close to home. There's different looks, right? All kind of different looks. And we've been married, me and my wife, we've been married for 11, going on 11 years now. She knows my looks. She knows which one to ignore. <laughs> she, knows, she knows when I'm joking. And she knows when I'm disapproving of something. When she knows when my look, what it's communicating is, I just didn't meet some expectation. And we need to have that conversation. That's not comfortable. That's not fun. Wouldn't you rather watch The Office again and eat some popcorn? We know the, all the lines by heart, but wouldn't that just be easier? Teach his own. 
still funny. We need to have that conversation. You know, it, it is good to ask, like, hey, am I being harsh? Was that, was, that, was, that, was that harsh? I think the more that we allow this to become pattern in our marriage, like, the more that I'm pursuing Jesus, I'm sensitive to these things, like, probably the more that I can ask her before she has to tell me. James tells us, James chapter 5, verse 16, says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He gives us this call. And let me read this part again from Ephesians 5. Uh, to me, this is the part that is the least clear in the passage, right? When he says this in verse uh, 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. It's not all about, like, husbands loving their own bodies, and, like, I've never once in my life stopped and thought, you know what I love. Why is that funny? Just kidding. <laughs> Perfectly aware of why it's funny. Uh, you know, like, what, what's he talking about? Love it, cherish it. Like, I try to cover it as much as possible. Like, he's talking about, man, this unity, this oneness. The two shall become one flesh, right? Where did the first woman come from? Side of the man, right? Subsequently, every man has come from the woman, we, this is all pointing back to something about God. The unity that exists in the person of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, perfectly for all of eternity. And he made us in his image and likeness, but in his image and likeness, male and female, to be one. And this is where our marriages can preach the gospel, is that when we're truly unified, and if we're going to be truly unified in Christ, there's no room for all the clutter and the mess there's not room for the things left unsaid. And it needs to be rooted out by the gospel. Listen to this quote. It's from a, a Paul Tripp. Uh, it's in a book called What Did You Expect? I recommend it. It's, it's really good. He says this. It's a longer quote. Uh, so hang in there. And if you drop off at some point, just jump back in. You'll pick up some of it. God chooses to bring people that are different into intimate relationship with one another for his honor and their good. Unity is not the result of sameness. Unity is not the result of sameness. Rather, unity results when love intersects with difference. It is self-love that hates differences. It is self-love that makes you impatient. It is self-love that makes you want your own way. It is self-love that convinces you that your way is the right way. It is self-love that makes winning more attractive than unity. Love celebrates who God has made the other person to be. Love celebrates the process. This, this is easier said than done. Listen. Love celebrates the process of working together to become one. 
Love celebrates the grace that changes that uh, I'm sorry. Love celebrates the grace of change that operates in the middle of the difficulty of difference. Love prizes unity and is willing to make sacrifices to achieve it. Love turns difference into an opportunity to experience a deeper and fuller unity. Love isn't impatient and it does not walk away. Love perseveres. Love stays active until what God has planned becomes your actual experience. That's the testimony we heard this morning, right? And do you think those feelings were right there right away? No. Love stays active until what God has planned becomes your actual experience. Love listens. Love works. Love waits. Unity happens when love intersects with difference. It is the unity, is the unity of your marriage growing. Because this is where the gospel will be on display. As we, through the love of Christ as our foundation, as we understand the love that Christ has for us and our spouse, and then we begin to show that to one another, and we're unified, then the profound mystery becomes crystal clear. Only God can do that. Only God can take two different people who are selfish and sinful and bring them together in peace and harmony and love where they serve each other, where the husband is sacrificial in his leadership and the wife is respectful in her submission. Only Jesus can do that. It preaches the gospel. at this point, I knew what I was going to say. I just need to find the right way to start it. Dramatic pause. <laughs> so at this point, man, it is good to be reminded of this. It's meant to be a process. Why is that important? Because there's not one couple in the room that's arrived at this. They're all on the porch, not listening because they're there. I'm just kidding. Like, <laughs> That couple doesn't exist this side of eternity, right? Just like in your personal sanctification, when will you be glorified? When you die, right? Where Jesus returns. You'll see Jesus like he is and you'll be made like him. Right? That's not today. Well, at least it's not to this point today. <laughs> right? It's meant to be a process. He sanctifies her, right? He says about his church, he sanctifies her by his word. That sanctification is a process. That cleansing is a process. That being conformed to the image of Jesus is a process. Your marriage, listen to me, it's meant to be a process. So don't quit. Don't walk away. Don't get discouraged. Don't beat yourself up. Repent of what needs to be repented of. Ask forgiveness of each other. Receive and embrace the amazing grace of God and move forward. And there'll be more sin shown. He's so gracious, he hasn't even shown you all your sin yet. There's more to come. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> like, repent of this. What's next? He's so good. The gospel's so good. So, application, I'll be done. We've already said and want to repeat many... If you're not sure where you stand with Christ, 
If you're not sure you know this transforming grace that we've been talking about, then please come talk to us. We'd love to sit down and talk to you about the gospel. We will be as persuasive as possible, but we won't, we won't manipulate. We're not, trying to, we're not trying to force decisions, but man, we'd love to see you follow Christ because it's so good. It's so good. And then say again, man, the scripture's got to be foundational in our homes. We, we've got to be reminding ourselves of the gospel. We have to be students of the word of God. Men, and, and, and we can't escape this. We can't escape it. You have to lead here. And well, I should say this. You are leading here, one way or the other. You are leading. It, it, it's design. It's not, it's not choice. You, you can say, well, my wife is the more spiritual one, and, and man, she, I'll, I'll just <laughs> testify. My wife is smarter than me. Can I get a witness? Yeah. And she is smarter than me. Uh, <laughs> she's way nicer than me. I mean, it's not even close. Like, she doesn't, even when I'm like, when I'm making fun of other people. Um, <laughs> I said it was a process, you know. Like, she doesn't do it. Sometimes she smiles, but I know it's like still in disapproval of what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> she's so nice. Listen, my wife, like, she can take a passage. I'll study a passage to preach, I mean, for days, and she'll read it, and she'll, she'll be like, oh, and what he's saying is this. I'm like, I just spent, like, all my energy to get there. Like, she just, she's gifted with the Word of God, and she teaches so well. Like, but that doesn't change that by design, I'm, I lead here. If I'm not in the Scripture and I'm not pursuing Jesus, my whole home will suffer. My relationship to Jesus will set the pace for my wife's relationship with Jesus. And so I say that not to say like, so you got you to, gotta, you know, figure out how to get better than her. I don't know if I'll ever get there. But what I've got to do is take steps of obedience every day. Your wife might be more spiritual. She might understand God's word better. Okay, but what you're called to do is lead. So you take steps of obedience every day. You open the, the word of God, and it might be hard for you to read. Your reading comprehension might be low. It doesn't matter. Take those steps of obedience. God knows that. You know what I've seen him do? People will say to me, uh, which is funny because it's just funny, but people say to me, I love it when you read scripture. And I think it's hilarious because, for one, I don't, I, I stay in the New Testament because I can't pronounce any of the names or places in the Old Testament. Like, I just can't do it. Like, I remember reading book reports and, like, have to give up, get in front of class, and I would black out and I would stumble over everything. It's just humiliating. But, but what I've consistently done, man, just pray, God, like, give me understanding into your word. Help me to know your word, like fill my heart, my mind with your word. Like we can all do that no matter where your starting point is. Take steps of obedience and God will bless your, you, he'll bless your marriage, he'll bless your home. Man, we have to lead here. It's not optional. And then pray, pray for one another. Man, pray for one another. Maybe you don't pray together. Maybe, you know, like I think different people, personalities, how that, but pray for one another. Cover each other in prayer. That's so Simple, right? Practical. It is the most powerful thing you can do because Jesus is our great high priest. We have full access to the throne of God to ask for his grace and mercy in our time of need. And we have full access to go to him on behalf of our spouse. So do that. Do that. Commit to it. Pray for your spouse. 
And I'll say this, serve together. Not just serve one another, serve together. Get busy in your local church together. Serve your local church together. Find some way to plug in and serve together. Because when, right, when we're serving others, when we're striving to be selfless, when we're humbling ourselves to look at other people more than ourselves, and we do that together in unity, the gospel is going to be clear to us. Man, serve, serve the lost together. Together strategize about how you're going to evangelize neighbors. Man, our, our marriages will do this, and if we'll take steps of obedience, our marriages will take the profound mystery of the gospel and make it clear to those around us. Pray with me. Lord God, love you. Thank you for the gospel. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all the, the marriages represented in this room, and I pray that you would continue to draw us all to yourself. I pray for those who are hurting. I pray for where there's bitterness and shame and guilt. God, that don't leave them there. By, by the power of your gospel, your, your overwhelming, amazing grace, uh, heal them. Give them the courage to come talk to people, come talk to us. Lord, I pray for those that are they're doing good, that, that we wouldn't be comfortable there, but that we would strive for our marriages to clearly proclaim the gospel, to clearly represent the unity that you have with your church. Jesus, thank you for doing everything. Thank you for living and dying and rising so that we could be your sons and daughters and that our marriages could matter for eternity. We love you and need you. In Christ's name, amen.